for all that you are and all that you're doing. We thank you that your love knows no height, no depth. That there is nothing that you can't do. We thank you that you pursue us with such a a reckless abandon, God, that, that you do not keep from us yourself willing to sacrifice, willing to give your life for us. God, we confess that sometimes we, we make little of that. Sometimes it, it just doesn't mean very much to us, God. We repent before you. And we recognize that your love is no small thing. Who you are is so much bigger and so much stronger. God, you are truly more than enough. So God, I pray that you would change our desires to desire you and you alone. That you would change our actions, our words, that we may worship you and you alone. God, I pray that whatever stands in the way between you and us today, God, that you would tear down that wall, that you would remove any barrier anything that prevents us from seeing you for who you truly are, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, you are great. There is no one greater. There is nothing more important than you. And so, God, I pray that you would make that so in this place. May the words of my mouth be pleasing May I share you and you alone, God. And may we respond in obedience. Because, God, you are calling out to us. Thank you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. It is Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday, and, and what better way to celebrate Palm Sunday than have the children singing Shout Hosanna with us this morning. Was that not great? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know that uh, Easter is one week away, and so I want to encourage you guys, be talking to your neighbors, be talking to your coworkers, talking to your friends. Invite them to come celebrate Easter with you next Sunday. Um, we are going to have uh, a great time today, and you're going to hear more about that uh, as Shannon gives our announcements at the end of the service. But uh, Easter is coming, and we are so excited um, to celebrate Christ's resurrection. Um, as, you, as you know, this is the last week of our RAIN series. And uh, I, I've heard some so many great things that God is doing things in your lives. You guys have shared those things and, and really excited about uh, today and celebrating uh, Christ with you this morning. Um, just to recap, we have spent this series looking at uh, some specific examples where Jesus uh, is proclaiming 
uh, his, his kingship. He is proclaiming and exerting his authority. And um, there has been some backlash from some people, uh, religious leaders and, and the Pharisees and all that, with perceived authority. But our king is bringing about his kingdom and, and he, is, he is starting it then, and he is making things right as he goes along. As he goes about preaching and teaching and healing and restoring, all things are made new. And so, and so last week we talked about Luke chapter 6. We talked about the man with the shriveled hand in the synagogue. Right, and Jesus calls him up front, and he and he not only uh, restores the man's hand, but in that moment restores the Sabbath. It says the Sabbath was made for me. Jesus, the Lord of all, is also the Lord of the Sabbath, and so he restores, and he's able to heal the man's hand without doing any work. He says a word. And the man is healed. And the Pharisees are furious about that. Well, today, we're going to stay in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we are going to go to chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, just turn over to chapter 19. Uh, if you don't, no worries. The, the Scripture is going to be on the screen. If you have a smartphone, want to direct your attention to the YouVersion Bible app, just go to the Events tab, and you will find all of the Scripture references and the notes in there. But we are going to go to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 28 this morning. Uh, we're going to go until uh, verse 40. So Luke 19, 28, going until verse 40. Hear the word of the Lord. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Amen. See, this passage of Scripture is commonly referred to as the triumphal entry. And, and you're going to see this uh, story uh, played out where Jesus enters Jerusalem before the Passover. Uh, it's included in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, this is merely days, days before Jesus would dine with his disciples in that upper room one final time. 
just days before he would be crucified and, and roughly a week before the resurrection. See, Jesus had just finished telling his followers uh, the parable of the ten minas. And, and it said that after he said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. See, he had been hanging out at Zacchaeus' house with uh, friends and disciples and followers. And, and it wasn't a terribly long trip from Zacchaeus' house in Jericho to Jerusalem, only about 17 miles and as he approaches Bethphage and Bethany, these two tiny little uh, towns on the outskirts of Jerusalem, you may remember Bethany is the, the home where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And Jesus sends two of his disciples on into the nearby village to procure a donkey. Not just any donkey. He's kind of like, you'll know it when you see it. Uh, th you're going to go in the village, and there's going to be this young donkey, a colt. It's going to be tied there, and, and, well, you're going to see it. I mean, nobody's ever ridden it before. And, and this particular colt, you're going to untie it, and you're going to bring it here. <laughs> I can't imagine those kinds of directions being given. I'm sure that these two disciples, they only felt slightly uncomfortable. So, all right, so let me get this straight. I'm going to go. I'm going to go in the village, and... Uh, when I, get in the, when, I, when I get in the village, I'm, I'm going to see a donkey, uh, amongst other things. And I'm going to take the donkey. I'm taking the donkey, right? Um, you know, it, they're, they're, they're like, well, what are we supposed to say again? What, like, what, what if they ask? The Lord needs it. And these people are supposed to know what that means? I mean, should we say we're just borrowing it? Should we, uh, I mean, how is this not Grand Theft Auto? I mean, as funny and awkward as this had to have been, let's not miss that as much as, as they don't know how this thing's going to play out, Jesus knows exactly how it's going to play out. And so the first thing I want us to see today is that our king reigns. Our king reigns. Let's face it, God, our king, Jesus Christ has plans and purposes that we know nothing about. He has plans and purposes that we know nothing about. There's a specific donkey, one that nobody has ridden, one that Jesus knows intimately. Jesus, Jesus knows donkeys intimately? See, we know that God knows everything about us. We say that God knows every hair on our head and all this. But is it too much to think that God would know how many hairs are on the donkey? Is it too crazy to think that he knows everything about us uh, humankind here, um, but less about livestock? Nah, it's, it's cool. I know that God is uh, in control of intelligent beings like us humans, but I really draw the line right there at barnyard animals. Trust me, if he's in control, he's in control. If he's seated on the throne, he's seated on the throne. I mean, he's the ruler of all or not ruler at all. See, I'm sure the disciples were amazed yet again. They go in to the town and everything happens exactly the way Jesus says it would. Why are you untying the colt? 
because the Lord needs it. And the owners are cool with that. Jesus didn't just know exactly how it was going to go. He shows them yet again that he has power and authority over anything and everything. See, our sovereign God is in control. I mean, it's funny that Jesus tells these two disciples to use the words, because the Lord needs it, as if Jesus needs anything. No, no, it's all his. It's all his. He doesn't have need. Everything is from God and for God, as we see in Scripture. He has them say that because he wants the owners to know this is for Jesus. This is for the Lord. The Lord is the one who is commandeering your animal. And the Lord is the one who gives and takes away, and that donkey is a rental. Let's take it a step further. Let's take it a step further. I mean, I think many times we read stories in Scripture, and we go, you know, uh, I, I would imagine that would, that would, you know, okay, it's not the way I would have done it. All right, we read stories in Scripture, and we're like, I don't know, that's probably not what I would do. But, uh, I mean, I probably would have done it this way, but I suppose that way's good too. I mean, we know our ways are not God's ways, and yet we still read ourselves into the story sometimes. I mean, when we do that, the story changes. Like, we would read the story of, of Jesus' triumphal entry, and, and be like, well, if only Jesus and his disciples, uh, if only they knew what was going to happen. Man, they're going to be totally surprised in the garden late Thursday evening. Man, they're going to be in for the shock of their lives five days from now. Now, what about Jesus says he doesn't know? He calls out Judas on Thursday night. You think he doesn't know? He's been predicting his own death for years, and we think he doesn't know. He knows exactly what is going to happen. He's going to enter that town. He's going to enter Jerusalem that day. He gets to the Mount of Olives, and he says, wait, just wait. Just stop right there. This has to be perfect. We're going to do this right. You guys, go ahead. Get the donkey. Bring it. He knows exactly exactly what's going to happen. I mean, he could have entered Jerusalem in so many different ways. I mean, he had a price on his head. I mean, he could have slipped in at night under the cover of darkness, maybe taken some back roads, the back streets, been, been hidden, hidden away somewhere. And he would have remained safe. But for our sake, for you and for me, for our sake, he didn't do that. He knew full well what awaited him in Jerusalem. He knew full well what was going to happen to him, and he went anyways. He knew this trip would end in his death, and he knew that he would suffer, and he chose to come in the most public way possible. All because he knew what we needed, and he knew that he was the only one who could give it. So the disciples, they get the colt, they go back, they put Jesus on it, and he begins the remainder of the trip to Jerusalem. The second thing I want us to see today 
is that our king brings peace. Our king brings peace. See, Jesus didn't ride the donkey because he was tired. He could have continued the rest of the way. No, this was a deliberate act to fulfill the prophecy that is said in Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, Jesus is declaring what kind of king he is. He's declaring what kind of king he is. See, see the donkey... The donkey wasn't thought of in the same way that it is today. Um, you know, it was a noble animal. Kings sometimes would ride donkeys. If a king had been in wartime or had just been victorious, a king might uh, stride in on a horse, a stallion, a noble steed as a conquering hero. However, when they come in peacetime, when they bring peace, they ride a donkey. Many people expected the Messiah to come and to overthrow the government, overthrow the individuals who are oppressing them, who's laying claim over their kingdom, and this Messiah is going to come and he's going he's to drive them out and he's going to set up his own kingdom. They expected a conquering military hero as king, but Jesus comes as king of love and peace. Sure, he could have galloped in on a mighty war horse, but he chose a colt. He told them, bring, bring it here, the foal of a donkey, to fulfill the prophecy and declare that his kingdom would be one marked by peace. See, this has always been the case. You remember all the way back to Bethlehem, right? Bethlehem, the shepherds, they're in the fields. They're, they're tending to their flocks. And what do the angels say? They say, glory to God in the highest heaven on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Once in Jerusalem, Jesus will, will sit down with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he will say, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He goes on to tell them, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, there will come a time when King Jesus will stride in on a horse. He will, he will ride in. The king of kings will ride on a white horse. And that time will come. But at this time, at this time, he's bringing peace. At that time, he will once and for all conquer all hearts, all minds, all powers, all authorities, all strongholds will be demolished. All barriers will be removed. And the entire universe will see him for the conquering hero that he is. But right now, he's coming in peace, and he has outstretched arms, and he says, I, I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you to receive the love that I am offering. Only our king can bring peace. Only he can do that. And for our sake, he's going to endure whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Talk about the reckless love of God. Whatever it takes. Whatever he has to do, merely days later, it says in Isaiah 53, 5, his punishment is going to bring us peace. 
and it would be finished. Peace. Our King brings peace. The last thing I want us to see today is that our King deserves praise. Our King deserves praise. It says in verse 36, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. This was their way of of bowing down. It was an old custom that symbolized submission. They were in effect saying, we place ourselves under your feet. You can't actually put yourself under there. The, the, the donkey would, would fall and all things, it would be bad news. But, but they, throw, they throw their cloaks down. I mean, it's the same reason why thrones are elevated. Thrones are on an elevated platform. To place yourself under the feet of the king, you're sub- symbolically submitting to their authority, their majesty. And so they're taking off their coats, they're taking off their robes, and they're throwing them down in front of him as he goes. They're showing that he is the king, but they're also showing their relation to the king. You're the king, and I submit to you. We see the same thing in Revelation. As as beings are gathered around the throne, right, they're, they're taking off their crowns and they're casting them before the king. The same thing. They're submitting to the king. They're submitting to his majesty. They're submitting to his authority. And then it says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, things are escalating. People are now starting to shout. Matthew tells us that they're yelling Hosanna. Luke doesn't make any mention of that because Hosanna is a Hebrew cry. It would have no impact on the Gentile readers. They're shouting Hosanna, meaning God save us. So there's these loud shouts of God save us, deliver us, blessed is the king. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. John tells us that they're waving palm branches. They're waving palm branches, a symbol of triumph and victory. They recognize that he is the Messiah. He is the one who is sent by God. He is the Holy One of God. He is the King who was and is to come. They're crying out to him to establish his kingdom. Long live the king. And the Pharisees, they can't handle it. It's an affront to their power. It's an affront to what they thought they had. They're they're clutching to their office and their their position. And they're going, man, I, I don't understand why these people, they're just going after him. They're mindless about it. They know the image that Jesus is portraying. He's gained popularity. And now, and now all the people are running after him and they're shouting. They're shouting, blessed is the king to him. Quick, somebody, somebody tell them to pipe down. Teacher, make it stop. You're not the king. How can you let them call you that? And Jesus responds calmly. I tell you. They keep quiet. The stones will 
cry out. See, Jesus is the King. And the King deserves our praise. All of creation was made to worship Him. Why should He tell them to stop doing what they were meant to do? They had one purpose, and they're doing it. The whole design of the universe is that Christ be praised. And if these people don't shout out, then the rocks are going to cry out. Do we understand what that means? That Jesus is sovereign, and Jesus is God, and Jesus is going to get what he deserves. He's going to get what's rightfully his. After all, he's the king. And you and I... You and I can praise him. You and I can worship him. We can do that. We can joyfully lift our voices and give a shout. Or or the rocks. Or the rocks will get the joy of worshiping the true God. See, the very things that are non-living and completely insignificant are the very things that are going to come to life And play a significant role in our condemnation. Truly. Truly, they will come alive and they will worship the king. And in doing so, that's our own indictment. We're exposed like Balaam's donkey. The stones will rejoice for King Jesus. And testify against us like the ground testified against Cain. All the way back in Genesis. The rocks will cry out if they must because all creation falls under the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he deserves our praise. He deserves our praise. I mean, it may sound weird. It may sound weird, but that's the way it is. Romans 8 tells us that creation is groaning All of creation is groaning. Psalm 96 talks of the trees singing for joy. Isaiah 55, 12 says, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. There it is again, peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. The trees are going to clap their hands. Is it really too much? Is it really too much to lift our voice and worship? To lift our voices and sing out? Is it really too much to tell others of the greatness of our king? We've been given a voice and we say, no, no, Jesus, you can't have that. It's my voice. I use it for what I want to. But see, when you've seen the goodness of God, when you've experienced his mercy, you can't help it. You have to praise him. You must lift your voice, and and your inmost being is crying out. Crying out for the greatness of our God. Our heart is leaping out of our chest. That's what our king deserves. Truly, truly many things in this world are not as they ought to be. And many times we are attacked. Many times we feel the presence of evil. You want to drive Satan and his followers nuts? Cry out in worship. You want a, you want a cure for, for self-centeredness and self-pity? Praise the Lord. 
One scholar says it like this, nothing tells Satan and his followers that they have lost like the praises of God ringing in their ears. Satan loses because when God's people are really worshiping, their hearts and minds are on him and not on sin, self, or Satan's distractions. I'd like to invite the the band to come here as we continue. But the king deserves our praise. One day, everything, everything will praise the Lord. Paul tells us that God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. If you don't praise him here, you don't get to praise him there. But make no mistake, all of creation will praise him. Everyone who has a knee is going to bow. Everyone who has a tongue is going to confess. The Apostle John, when he was in exile on the island of Patmos, right, he gets a glimpse into heaven and he says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Let's start the party now. Let's not wait till we leave this earth to do what we were always meant to do. Our king reigns. Let's fall on our knees before him. Our king brings peace. Let's praise him. Our king is worthy. Let's worship him both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you knew the cost and you did it anyways. That you came. Yes, you came for the people of Jerusalem. You came for your disciples. You came for the people that day. But God, you come for us today in this place. God, you are so good. And God, yet yet we confess that we don't always give you what you deserve. Help us, Holy Spirit. Turn our hearts, turn our minds to you that we may see you, that we may worship you. On this Palm Sunday, God, we can't help, we can't help but think about what's going to happen as the Thursday and Friday and Saturday are coming. we think about that sacrifice. God, we want to worship you all the more. We remember that Pilate 
shows you off and says, Behold your king. God. That's what we want to do. We want to behold you. We want to be with you. We want you to move in mighty ways. And so, God, I pray that we would surrender to you because you reign. That we would see you as our Lord and as our Savior. And that you would bring peace. God, may we use all that we are and all that we have to worship you, both now and forever. Amen. Right now, we're going to have a time of response, and we'd like to invite you to come pray at the altar. The altar is open for anyone. There will be some prayer ministers available if you'd like somebody to pray with you. But please stand as we, as we respond to God together. Use this time to seek the Lord. Let's lift our voices together.